0: Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I'm your host, Frank Troyce, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. And regrettably, I have the hairline and gray hair to prove it. Joining me on the show are an eclectic group of participants ranging from hedge funds, portfolio managers, insurance companies, brokerages, and even as diverse as winemakers and theologians. All of us asking the same question at the end of the day that we all do when we're watching TV, listening to the radio, or reading a newspaper, why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast, and on occasion, we may be on as many times as two to three times a week, depending upon the subject matter and current events. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes, and as always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started with Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com slash unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello and welcome back to Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Troyce And again, we are very fortunate to have with us Douglas Borthwick, who on this call already has made some uh, uh, significant uh, uh, predictions and, and uh, not the least of which is the inevitability of Trump 2020. Um, we've actually created an interesting framework here in our first two segments where the administration might actually have a rational policy that, uh, folks in the States, if they can divorce themselves emotionally, might see some underlying logic to it. And Doug, I want to go, um, one last point on Asia, and then I want to hop the pond to Europe and talk about Brexit. And then to your point, I think we should talk about what's happening in South America. Um, TPP is, is... Again, given everything we just talked about in the prior segment, from a policy standpoint, it would be insane to to for the US not to re-engage in that framework. That framework at a, at a base level puts China in check. And do you think that that if in fact there was some continuity of a Republican administration, do you think TPP would be introduced? And, and just to lead with my chin, the expectation here in Asia, is that TPP is not off the table for the U.S. It was just more of a political maneuver by Trump to say we're, ju- we're just not doing it now.
1: Well, I think let's, let's see what happens with the bilateral negotiations between the U.S. and China. If those go well and the U.S. gets what it wants, then it doesn't need to do TPP. But uh, if they don't, then I think the U.S. would be right back at the, uh, at the table again and say, look, we want to be part of this. But I think that the U.S. has a very strong feeling right now that by doing bilateral trade negotiations, they'll always get a better deal you're dealing with a president mm-hmm. who knows the art of the deal
0: interesting and and let's now go to Europe uh, and let's talk about a situation that that's just not working out there's been much more information now coming out that that um, you know one of the big impacts to brexit is that London will no longer be the the financial capital of the world and and we may never see it again um, what do what do you hearing from from your counterparts, especially in the FX markets as it relates to, you know, the business impact of Brexit and and what that means for larger Europe? I think the business um, changes are going to be significant for market
1: related jobs. Now, investment banking can still be done out of the UK. But, but what you wouldn't see is trading in, you know, bonds, uh, European government bonds, probably not, uh, you know, and they may even like, you know, say for currency guys, you got to go in Europe as well. But I think that I think that most folks are looking at this and looking at, you're watching a slow motion train wreck where the government has no idea how to negotiate this. And yet the time keeps on dripping off and off and off. And it's an absolutely miserable thing to watch because no one really knows what the outcome of Brexit is going to be. You've got May who's sitting there and she's selling an idea that no one believes is gonna be good. You've got a populace that, that's turning around saying, we should never have voted for this in the first place. And you realize that when the vote was actually taken, you know much of the information that was out there was just incorrect and completely wrong or just made up altogether. And I think that's extremely concerning. And so I've always maintained, and this has been however many years it is now since they, they, they said they would do Brexit. You know, One, we said Brexit would happen, and, and I think not a lot of folks thought it would, but I also believe that May is trying to unintentionally now, I thought she would do it intentionally at the time, I think she's trying to make things look so absolutely miserable that in the end, folks turn around and say, "We need to have a second referendum." Now she can't say that herself because she campaigned on, on on the way that she would she would take Brexit and she'd make sure she got to the finish line. But I think it, it's becoming such a big deal that she's got you know some members of her cabinet that that secretly say, "You know what? We need to have a second referendum." And I think the second referendum, in the end will be said so loudly that the government turns around and says, well, you know, we've been forced into doing a second referendum. So let's ask the people again and the people would, you know, vote resoundingly no. But in the meantime, you've got lots of firms turning around and they've had to move operations to Frankfurt or to Paris. And obviously if they're going to move their operations to Frankfurt, Paris and elsewhere in Europe, it's not in the Europeans' interest to give the UK a good deal. And if Goldman Sachs is renting a whole bunch of office space, in, in Europe and Bank of America is and other banks, why would they turn around and say, you know, what? Uh, we'd rather you go back to London? No, of course they wouldn't. So that's why every time they go in there and they say, look, do you have a deal for us Europe? Europe says, it's not for us to give you a deal, it's for you to offer us a deal. Because it's very much in Europe's interest to make this thing go out longer and longer and longer. And it's really in the UK's interest to call for a second referendum,
0: but the UK out of pride won't. That's what's amazing. And why why just just for our U.S. listeners? Why is it so difficult to get that second referendum done? I mean, you know, you just look at the press; it, it seems that the, the the people themselves recognize that this was a mistake. Politicians quietly are saying that this was a mistake. You have all of these businesses leaving the country because it's a mistake. Why is it so difficult to just acknowledge that they made a mistake and just you know be done with it? Well, look, I'm no politician, but I believe that May wants to be seen. Uh, in
1: history, as being someone that did something for the British people, admittedly she's doing something for a mistaken British people, but I, I really think it just comes down to politics. It's a real
0: shame, and it's it's uh, it was interesting. I read a an article this week that a that I hadn't seen in a long, 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 long time, and it was actually the the first interview in EuroMoney magazine with uh, John Goodfriend when he took over as managing partner at Solomon, and it, it really was fascinating to, to hear him and the, you know, to your earlier point on the federal reserve, you know, how in, in his era on wall street, you know, the, the idea, the, you know, stable, a stable monetary system, the importance of London in that framework. And you fast forward to today and you, it's just, it's, um, uh, disconcerting to see things that, that, uh, were built and working, you know, uh, regrettably now going through a shaky time. How, um, uh, Going back to your earlier points on on Venezuela, and, and, and I also want to, interestingly enough, do this as a, as a segue to some energy thoughts on your end, because we obviously had MBS here in, in Asia this week, doing a lot of high-profile meetings, and, and obviously Venezuela plays into that in, in terms of energy. What, what is the real, you, you talked about it earlier, but I, I think our listeners deserve your thoughts on this. What, what do you see really as the, the game and the end game with Venezuela? What's really happening?
1: Well, Venezuela has been suffering for for quite some time. This isn't something that's really happened in the last three or four months. It was really only after Russia sent over a number of their, their fighter jets and parked them in, in Venezuela that the U.S. took note and said, you know, we really need to do something about what's going on in this country. You know, look at the poverty, look at the starvation, look at how the economy's collapsed. The U.S. had no thoughts about, on this really about a year ago. But, you know, Russia came over, they landed a whole bunch of very nice Warplanes, and the U.S. realized this is our backyard. If if Venezuela is cozying up to Russia, that's not good for us. We need a new person in there. Let's look at the Venezuelan opposition leader. Let's try to get him in. And I think that's really what it comes down to: is you know, this is someone in our hemisphere that could end up having a Russian naval base on, uh,
0: right on right on the the the, uh, the outskirts of the U.S. and the U.S. doesn't want that. And what does this mean then, as far as energy? Do you, do you, do? You, I mean, well, this- look look venezuela exports oil now they export oil and at the same time
1: right now they they export in dollars and i think that you know the russians would rather that they export it in a different currency and i think that most countries that end up saying we'd like to export our oil in a different currency have ended up quite poorly you could look at iraq you could look at uh, libya In all of these in those countries the folks running it ended up you know being hung on youtube Mm -hmm. And so it's not something that you want to turn around and do, because when you say that oil is going to get priced in a currency other than the U S dollar, well, that's why the U S is sitting there as the the currency of choice for the world and the reserve currency is because energy oil, which everyone needs is priced in dollars. Now, going to your other point that that you just made about how you have the Saudis right now, you know, walking around and, and talking to folks, you know, they're in China and, and I'm sure they're talking about huge exports from Saudi into China. And my guess is those exports won't be in dollars, but they'll be in yuan, which comes back to the thing we talked about in a couple of segments ago, which is that the Chinese are going out there telling people, you know what, we want to buy goods from
0: you, but we don't want to use dollars. We'd rather use yuan. And it, it's really, it, it's interesting here from a policy perspective to, to um, bring it back to Parts of the discussion that we were having here uh, in Singapore this week, because the when when you look at um, and again, given what happened with Khashoggi, you can argue that MBS self-inflicted a large part of this on himself. But the in terms of what the Saudis are doing militarily in region, that's the, for all intents and purposes, they've been a proxy for U.S. policy in in the region. So it is interesting that prior to or Previous to Khashoggi, um, the U.S. had no concerns or questions regarding Saudi military policy in region. Uh, but post Khashoggi, you know, the optics were okay. We 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 have to be careful about how we support MBS, and and then the war in Yemen became a much bigger deal, and we started seeing more regarding you know the impact to the to the people and the populace. Do you really think though that that One of the sarcastic comments that came out of this week was that this really was just a big PR trip, that the reality is that the the Saudi relationship with the United States is absolutely fine. Trump took the bullet by throwing Khashoggi, you know, just not making that divisive issue and that, that, you know, in the next six to 12 months, you know, we'll be right back on track in terms of Yemen, you know, and our relationship with Saudi Arabia.
1: Look, I think it's much more important to the United States that the Saudis keep exporting their oil in dollars, take those dollars and buy U.S. Treasuries, than anything else that happens. Yeah, you know, the Saudis are huge buyers of U.S. Treasuries. They sell a lot of dollars in oil. They make sure that 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 the the world looks at oil in terms of dollars. I think that's very very important, and you can't take that relationship away because of you know certain instances. Now. You know, I think that the the Saudis ended up getting blamed a lot for you know all all sorts of things, but the U.S. has always turned a blind eye and and managed to
0: see through that, and uh, I think that's going to continue. And Doug, with that, let's let's have one final point here um, uh, before we wrap up. So, if, as we look at all the worst fears and discounting that's occurred in the emerging markets, um, is this the time now, given everything that we've said? Is this the time now for investors to be looking at emerging markets again? And, and, and effectively, should they be looking at it as being fully discounted and probably an opportune time to be buying?
1: I, I think it's. A, I think emerging markets are a, a, a phenomenal opportunity. You're obviously going to get the movement of manufacturing out of China towards other emerging markets. You've already talked about Cambodia. We could talk, uh, sorry, uh, Vietnam. You could look at uh, Turkey as well. And you know there's certainly emerging markets are going to do quite well. If Venezuela calms down, I think you'll see Latin American currencies do quite well. There's much higher yield still in these emerging market currencies. But one of the most important things is if the Chinese currency strengthens, all of the other emerging markets currencies are going to strengthen as well. Because China's like the tide. As long as the you know, Chinese yuan is strengthening, other countries are going to have their currencies strengthen. If they weaken, other currencies are going to weaken as well. If China was to devalue their currency, all emerging market currencies would take a huge hit. And if China was to revalue, they're all going to do quite well. They're going to do quite well, and they've got no nice high yields. And given that the Fed's gone dovish again, investors are encouraged once more to go out the risk curve, and that means emerging markets.
0: Good stuff. Well, Doug, we had a uh, uh, very, very broad. The only place we didn't cover was either the North or South Pole. So we, we we did a good job here of kind of taking our listeners across the globe. And real quick, um you're doing some, I just want to make sure that folks are aware of this and uh, we will have links on our website. We'll be highlighting this on social media, but uh, real quickly, you're now putting a lot of this research up on the web. You're, you're making your commentary available. Just uh, real quick, do you want to share with folks the, the where they can find you now as it relates to your efforts with Macro? Yeah, sure. They can find us at
1: www.macrointelligence.com and that's macro with a K, M-A-K-R-O intelligence.com. And, uh, you know, you can go on there, you can just subscribe, and the research comes free.
0: Perfect. And one of the other things I want to highlight is that uh, as much as I enjoy debating with you and arguing with you, that listeners should also be aware of the fact that the, the folks at Macro are now looking at making their team available uh, for meetings and, and uh, presentations. And so uh, keep, keep up to date in terms of what Doug and his team are doing, as I think this will be worthwhile for you all to uh, take a look at. And obviously, on our end, uh, doug is available on our community so he is there and and has no issue uh debating and and getting engaged so uh doug is always a pleasure uh we look forward to having you back on again and uh we'll keep our fingers crossed that uh, uh some of the negative stuff we say here doesn't necessarily bear all the fruit that it does and uh i wish you the, the best of weekends you got it thank you very much frank thank you okay doug take care you too